My name's Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience, your 20-minute thrill ride for your commute or your workout. The Biden administration is trying to force a private religious college to allow biological men into women's dorms and locker rooms. Oh, man, you got to hear this one. More proof that the Biden administration wants high gas prices. The Rittenhouse case shows the misinformation of the mainstream media on gun laws. Are booster shots every six months going to be added to the mandate? And, well, some countries are refusing to take back their citizens who came into America illegally. That's nice. It's all coming up on the Greg Knapp Experience, and it's starting right now. Let's go. All right, so let's start with what's going on with the Biden policy on colleges. What what policy? What are you talking about? Okay, this is from the College of the Ozarks president, Jerry Davis. And I have been to the College of the Ozarks. I had the honor of speaking there to their students one time about how to find and pursue their passion and purpose. And they were great, great students. I mean, great young people. The way the College of the Ozarks work is it the whole purpose, as, as, as the president says, provide a top-notch Christian education for students who cannot afford to attend college elsewhere. Now, you work your way through this college. It's like a little city and everybody has a job and you don't have any debt when you leave. It's amazing. It's awesome. Leave it alone, federal government. It says our religious beliefs define who we are. Our students know these beliefs. Most share them. All commit to respect them when they join our community. We don't enforce our principles with the edge of a sword. But like most colleges, we establish clearly defined expectations for students faculty, and employees. And one of their expectations is that if you are a biological man, you will live in the men's dorms, you will go to the men's bathrooms, you will go to the men's locker rooms. If you are a biological woman, you will go to the women's dorms, bathrooms, and locker rooms. And the Biden administration said, no, that is discrimination. Huh? How? Well, because if you feel that way, you should be able to go to the other one. No, no. So the College of the Ozarks says they're facing an existential threat. The federal court is going to hear it today. The Biden administration has declared the College of the Ozarks must start letting men into the young women's dorm rooms, showers, and locker rooms, or face the wrath of the federal government. It was a federal memo under the Fair Housing Act declaring it will, quote, eradicate housing discrimination. They are calling it gender identity discrimination. And they will be punished if they don't comply. The Biden administration's agenda, according to the president of College of the Ozarks, is a two-pronged threat to the First Amendment, right? Think about it. First, squelches their right to speak the truth to their students that men and women are biologically different. That is a fact. That is science. Who's who's saying they don't trust science right now? No, Greg, it's not a fact. There's a, uh, how, of course, it's a fact. Now you can say it, it. You would like it to be different. You would like people to be called different things. You would. You would. But it's a fact. And the College of the Ozarks is not here to make anybody feel bad. They're not trying to hurt trans people. They're simply saying that they believe that. A biological man and a biological woman are different and should be allowed to go into different places to sleep and to shower and to go to the bathroom. Why do you have the right to force them the other way? Go to a different school. It's a private Christian college. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So first, they're telling them that they can't speak the truth that men and women are different. 
and that we respect their dignity and privacy by providing excellent housing to both in separate dorms. And second, it suppresses their religious right to provide affordable education to young people in an environment that lives by Genesis 127, male and female, he created them. So they have their religious freedom in the First Amendment. And then, of course, they have their freedom of speech in the First Amendment. So then the college president goes on. Is the safety, comfort, and privacy of women on our campus to be sacrificed so that biological men can live in women's dorms? Does radical gender ideology, which defies biological science and common sense, trump the religious beliefs of College of the Ozarks that are guaranteeing protection by the Constitution? It's a great question. And I don't know what the court's going to decide now. I used to know what the court would decide. It's pretty black and white in the Constitution. But now it's become so political. See, the whole transgender thing should not be political at all. I don't, I don't understand how it became political. Well, yes, I do. Because it was all about intersectionality in the far left. And if you can claim to be a minority, and now we're all intersectional together. And we can fight the power and fight the big, awful, evil, whatever boogeyman they've created. But it shouldn't be political at all. What it should be is how do we help people who are in this horrible position of feeling like they are the opposite sex. I mean, I can't imagine what that would feel like to, I'm a man, to feel like I'm a woman. I can't imagine how hard that is. But the answer is not to force people to call you the opposite sex, to start chopping off body parts and say, oh, you feel that way, you must be. Wouldn't the answer be to help people deal with the mental difficulties that they're going through? Just like we do when people say, you know, I feel like I'm fat and they're twig thin because they're anorexic. We don't say, oh, you feel like you're fat. Go ahead and stop eating. We help them. Why aren't we helping people instead of pouring into their mental problem? What do you mean it's a mental problem? That's a horrible thing to say. No, how, how can you not say it's a mental problem when you feel like you're in the wrong body? Of course it's a mental problem. Then we've got to help. Got to help. And you don't help by doing this. So a judge denied their request for help in May. The judge said... Before they could sue, they had to suffer years of agency complaints and intrusive investigations. And of course, you've heard the saying, the process is part of the punishment. Yes, bingo. That's an abuse of our system, and it's what the Biden administration continues to do, because they know it'll take a long, long time to go through the courts. It'll cost a lot of money, and eventually people will just give up. Thankfully, the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals is holding the expedited hearing today. Now, here's the final question from the president of the College of the, of the Ozarks, which is dead on. Will our country allow the whims of elite opinion to impose a novel redefinition of humanity on ordinary Americans? Or will we stand up for the fundamentals of freedom that were endowed by our creator and guaranteed by the Constitution? It's a great question. Where do you stand? Because everybody's going to have to pick pretty soon. Why do you hate transgender? Really? Really? That is not what this is about. I don't hate anybody. I, like I said, I have great sympathy for somebody who is transgender. I can't imagine what it must be like to go through this. But if you look at the research, the research shows that people are not feeling great once they've had the sex reassignment surgery. The research shows that 70 to 80% of young people who identify as transgender re-identify of their birth gender on their own with no treatment whatsoever. So... Really, the, re, the, the the best thing to do is to play into the problem, affirm their very difficult feelings and start chopping off body parts and force everybody else to call men, women, and women, men. No, it doesn't make any sense. 
doesn't make any sense. Oh, before we get into our current energy secretary and her cameo in a video about ending gasoline-powered cars, <laughs> that's great. Uh, I want to just ask you, if you're enjoying the show, would you please be a part of the movement? We've got to get more and more people to know what's happening to push back against the far left to rally around the idea that America is exceptional and why and what we need to do next. So if you could like the podcast, subscribe to it, share it with three friends and ask them to share it with three friends, we can really grow the movement. Like the Greg Knapp Experience page on Facebook. The Greg Knapp Experience page on Facebook. Thanks. You are the advertisers for me. I really appreciate it. So let's go into what's happening with Biden's Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm. All right. She was in a 2018 music video where she sang about the end of gasoline and fossil fuels. I mean, it was just a cameo. She didn't do the whole thing. Uh, she's our energy secretary, and she was singing about ending gasoline-powered cars. Well, yeah, because we got to move on to the new stuff. Okay. You can't figure out why the gasoline price is high, because they want it high. Greg, you can't say that. That's not true. Really, because... We heard Jen Psaki double down on the fact that, you know, with these energy prices high, it just shows you why we need our new green new energy. And now we have a cameo of Jennifer Granholm, the current energy secretary, in this song, Gasoline, Gasoline, the World's Aflame, singing about how we got to get rid of it. Yeah. The environmentalist group Cultura wrote it. It's an anti-fossil fuel song. Cultura aims to improve climate health and equity by accelerating the switch from gasoline and diesel to cleaner alternatives for a gasoline-free America by 2040 or sooner, according to their website. Let me let you hear just a little bit of the lyrics at the beginning of the song. The love affair with gasoline is ending. Soaring costs. Forcing drivers. Abandon gas-powered. No matter where you live, gasoline prices are going up. And that was 2018. And in fact... We had lower gas prices under Trump because of how much we increased our energy production. We became the number one producer of oil, the number one producer of natural gas. We were exporting this stuff like crazy. We weren't dependent on OPEC. At the end of his term, we were taking zero barrels of oil from Saudi Arabia. And now we're back in OPEC's grip. And doesn't that opening tell you again they want high prices see they see high gas prices as you giving up your gasoline power car and that's great for them just like we talked about yesterday biden's banking nominee omarova saying yeah some of these fossil fuel companies are going to have to go bankrupt but don't worry we'll help them out and they'll switch to cleaner technologies oh yeah, yeah 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 here's just a few more of the lyrics you fossil fool you know instead of fossil fuel cute right you fossil fool i reject your rule we got to leave you in the ground I'm out of the door with my foot to the floor. We got to leave you in the ground. And then I got a new love, an electric flame with free city charging and BIP parking. Yeah, see the free city charging. Isn't that nice? You're paying for that. Zooming past you in the HOV lane. I'm clean and green and my love is sparking. You know, clean and green, really. Right now, if you have an electric car and you plug it in to get it charged, you don't have a, quote, electric powered car. You know what you have? Whatever kind of power powers the electric power plant. So in many parts of America, you have a natural gas-powered car. In other parts, you have a coal-powered car. Is that clean and green? In some parts, you have an oil-powered car. Because we still need this stuff in order to get electricity. Because the renewables are not up to the job. That's our energy secretary in that song. 2018, though, Greg. I mean, that was a long time ago. I'm sure she doesn't feel that way anymore. I mean, look how much she's working to bring down the cost of gasoline. She laughs about it. 
Chris Pandolfo pointing out that the Build Back Better plan, so-called by Biden, it's really, it's a world plan, the Build Back Better, if you really want to Google that and find out a little bit more. It could cost more than twice what the White House claims. Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget found that, as currently written, it's supposed to cost, you know, $2 trillion, $2.4 trillion, $2.2 trillion in offsets, but there's so many budget gimmicks, sunset provisions, expirations of tax credits in order to keep the cost artificially low. Because here's the thing, they're not going to phase those out. According to the CRFB, if the plan's temporary policies were made permanent, we find the cost would increase by as much as $2.5 trillion. The gross cost of the bill would more than double to $4.9 trillion. Now, the plan as it stands projects a $200 billion deficit over 10 years, but that figure relies on the child tax credit increase and earned income tax credit expansion to end after one year. Subsidies for universal pre-K and child care, they would end after six years. The health care program expansions would only last to 2025, and other measures would expire in the near future. Now, do you think any of those are going to expire? Because the only way they will expire is if we allow them to. And as they start to expire, they will say, oh, I can't believe that we're going to throw these people out in the cold. Grandma will be eating dog food. It'll be all cats and dogs living together. Total chaos. And they will just keep them going. If each piece of that plan is made permanent without additional offsets, it will add nearly $3 trillion to the deficit by 2031, just 10 short years from now. Nine. Okay, yeah, I'm having trouble with the math. And how about this? Did you see this? This slipped by back in August. There were a couple articles on it. I don't know if you saw it. This infrastructure bill that has passed, buried in the 2,700-page bill, is a little piece where the U.S. Secretary of Transportation is going to issue regulations for new motor vehicles as early as 2026, that's four years from now, to require every car new to come equipped with advanced drunk and impaired driving prevention technology. Well, that sounds great, Greg. Who could be against that? Me, and I'll tell you why. It sounds like you have to be guilty until proven innocent to drive your car, and it's going to add a lot to the cost of your car. I have no idea how much because they haven't figured it out yet. It's unproven technology, and I'm sure that will never break. Well, what technology are we talking about? Oh, basically, passive technology to make sure that you're not drunk when you get in your car, and it won't start if you are. 0.08 blood alcohol level. Yeah. The new prevention technology would have to passively detect whether a driver is impaired and passively measure his blood alcohol to see if it's above the 0.08% limit set by federal regulations. If it determines that the driver is over the limit, it will have to be able to stop someone from driving his vehicle. What does that mean? It won't start? It won't turn? <laughs> I don't know. What if you're the designated driver and you got three drunk buddies in your car and they're just reeking of alcohol? Car's not starting. I guess we're calling Uber. I don't know. You get into the Uber, would it make his car turn off now? <laughs> Who knows? And this has been going on. It's kind of a bipartisan effort that's been going on for quite There's a lot of details to be ironed out at a later date. But right now, if you're convicted of a DUI and you want to keep driving, you have to pay to put that, what do they call it? In a, uh, It's an interlock. Yeah. Ignition interlock device that you have to breathe into to prove that you can drive. I got no problem with that. You're already guilty. You've been convicted. New cars won't have to come installed with this, though, until at least 2026. Hmm, I'm sure that it's going to have no problem. We don't have this technology right now. It hasn't been invented. So there, there are some loopholes to make it be pushed out as long as 10 years. But, you know, it, it's coming. It's, it's in the bill. 
Rittenhouse, you've been following that trial, I'm sure. The jurors went home last night, resumed deliberations today. He had to draw out slips of paper randomly on who was going to be the random jurors and who are going to be really deciding his fate. Uh, Judge Bruce Schroeder of the trial has received hundreds of threatening messages throughout the trial. Many of them accuse him of being racist. Everybody in the trial is white, so I don't quite understand what's going on here. Some of them advocating for violence against his children. Isn't that nice? That's, that's how we're supposed to be. I love the tolerance. Um, prosecution in the Rittenhouse case, according to Jonathan Turley, says they couldn't be trying any harder to reach acquittal. He said, you know, first of all, they argued that the, pro the prosecutors were uh, arguing that these violent protests really weren't that violent in Kenosha, Wisconsin, mocked the jurors who witnessed their city set ablaze. He said the lead prosecutor, Binger, has contradicted his statements so often and presented evidence that was not borne out. He's really begging for a reaction from the jury. He said, I'd be surprised if they could eke out a single conviction. When you say that Rittenhouse chased down Rosenbaum and shot him in the back, they expect to see that. That's what he said in the opening arguments. In fact, they didn't. You saw one count drop. That's the gun for an illegal, excuse me, illegal gun for a minor. And a number of the assertions made in the opening statement were gone by the closing argument. So we'll get to that gun possession charge. Because I told you yesterday about PolitiFact being just totally blown up on Twitter because PolitiFact said it wasn't true that Rittenhouse had the gun legally. And of course, the judge threw out the case against him having a dangerous weapon as a minor. And PolitiFact doubled down on it now, though. No, no, no. They say, no, no, no. Uh, Wisconsin law says any person under 18 of age who possesses or goes armed with a dangerous weapon is guilty of a Class A misdemeanor. In our fact check, we cite the possibility of an exception for rifles and shotguns. The exception is aimed at letting children ages 16 and 17 to hunt. But as it is also clear, Rittenhouse wasn't in Kenosha to hunt. That's not true either, and we'll get to that in just a second. That's not what it's all about, according to the law, if you read the law correctly. The editor concluded, though, in his doubling down on PolitiFact being correct, these subsequent events show the gray areas of local gun laws, hardly a case of something being perfectly legal. Our fact-checked remains unchanged. So the judge dismissed the charge, which means it was legal, and they're not going to... Well, it wasn't perfectly legal. There's some gray area. So it's imperfectly legal? I mean, it's either legal or it isn't. So if you tried to play word games like this with anything you posted on social media, you would be deplatformed, de you'd be demonetized, you'd be suspended, you'd be labeled misinformation. But PolitiFact and these type of people help decide what's allowed on social media. Oh, everything's fine. Double down on it. Well, okay, let's go to a real lawyer. Jonathan Turley, as I mentioned, and this guy's not a conservative, by the way. And Jonathan Turley says, okay, let's go over this gun thing. At trial, the prosecutor, Thomas Binger, point, at points he didn't even seem to be uh, knowledgeable of the gun law and learned it from Rittenhouse. He pressed Rittenhouse on why he did not just purchase a handgun rather than the rifle. Rittenhouse replied he could not possess a handgun at his age, <laughs> which is true. So Binger asked in apparent disbelief. So the law allowed you to have the rifle, but not a handgun? Rittenhouse, yes. Binger then moved on. Well, he just helped the defense because he's right. The exchange was even more baffling because it drew attention to the fact that one of Binger's alleged victims was an adult named Gage Grousekrauts, who also decided to bring a handgun to the protest and pointed his 40 caliber Glock at the head of Rittenhouse when Rittenhouse then shot him in the arm. And by the way, Grousekrauts didn't have a concealed carry license. Hmm. 
Criminal laws are supposed to be interpreted narrowly, by the way. As PolitiFact was saying, well, you know, there's gray area in this law and somebody interprets it this way and this way. They're supposed to be interpreted narrowly. It's called the rule of lenity. Get this. In 1547, the court was faced with a law, it's the English system, for, and making it a felony to steal, quote, horses, geldings, or mares. And because they use plural nouns, the court ruled it did not apply to stealing just one horse. Now that's reading it narrowly, okay? So Wisconsin has this law that says minors can't possess short-barreled rifles. But he didn't have a short-barreled rifle. Rittenhouse used a Smith & Wesson MP15 with an advertised barrel length of 16 inches, overall length 36.9 inches, that is not short barrel. So he's not in violation of that. Now, the rest of the statute, you got to look at the word and. Possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under 18. It's any person under 18 years of age who possesses or goes armed with a dangerous weapon. Guilty of a class A misdemeanor. Aha, they got him. He was 17. Well, subsection C says this section applies only to a person under 18 who possesses or is armed with a rifle or a shotgun if the person is in violation of the first statute about it being short, he's not, or not in compliance with two other statutes, 29.304 and 29.593. So it has to be in violation of both, okay? Now, the defense said, yeah, he's violation in the first one. His weapon wasn't certified. However, he's not in violation of the second one. See, the second one makes it illegal for persons under 16 to use firearms. Rittenhouse was 17 at the time of the prosecution. And it's not about hunting. It doesn't matter about hunting. There's a tiny part that mentions hunting. Here it is. Restrictions on hunting and use of firearms by persons under 16 years of age. So you don't have to prove that you're hunting with the gun in order for you to have it legally. PolitiFact is wrong. Project Veritas is at it again. CBS San Antonio has a whistleblower. And his name is Brett Mauser. He's the former CBS San Antonio promotions producer. And he blew the whistle on what CBS San Antonio had brought in. It was the internal diversity and inclusion training. Christina Carioli Taylor is the multicultural competency trainer from CKT Cultural Strategies. What a racket these people have. Here's some of the stuff she said. I challenge you journalists to stop thinking in terms of objective journalism. We'll discuss why that's not really feasible anymore. Here's a little bit more of what she said. Much of what we're going to talk about today is going to center around the main code of ethics of journalism. And a couple things. During this workshop and throughout your day, I challenge you to stop thinking in terms of objective journalism. Think in terms of accuracy, fairness, and transparency. Always striving for objectivity is not feasible. Wait, it isn't, don't you need objectivity to be accurate, fair, and transparent? No, no, you know, you, we got to push our agenda. Yeah. And then Ron Trevino is a CBS Houston news anchor. It's a big deal down there. Said, I don't really care if people trust us or not. We still have to do our job. Whether they trust us is the least of my concerns. Whether they trust me or not. Um, don't you need your audience to trust you in order to believe that you're giving them objective news? No, I don't care about objective news. I got I to gotta teach them the right attitude and opinions to have. That's what you're doing as a news anchor? Yeah, so Brett Mauser, the former CBS Antonio Promotions producer and whistleblower, said this. I don't want to destroy the news. I don't want anybody to get fired. I want people to change and realize they are supposed to be objective. 
This is teaching journalists at a national level. Don't be objective. To me, that was what journalism always was, to be objective. If it's not objective, it's not journalism, it's propaganda. I would tell people, my friends, family, you can't trust the news. You're being manipulated. And they'd say, how do you know? I work in the news. So here's how CBS Antonio responded. CBS San Antonio. A journalist's job is to present the truth and report the facts, not cater to opinions. Our inclusivity program makes our journalism stronger, particularly for communities that have not been well served by our industry. We will continue this important work. It'd be nice if you continue the important work of objectively reporting the freaking news. No, can't do that. That's a Caitlin Owens from Axios points out that the Biden administration is expected to begin the process of expanding booster authorization to all adults as early as this week. Okay, right now, booster shots are really mainly presented as something that the elderly should get, people with underlying conditions. And here we go with saying everybody should get the booster because we know over the course of six months, the vaccination wanes in its efficiency at protecting you from COVID. So here's the question. How soon before boosters every six months becomes part of the mandate? And will you do it? I'm vaccinated, fully vaccinated. I'm not prepared to get a booster every six months because Fauci and Biden tell me I have to. How about you? Yeah, speaking of Fauci, if the United States makes boosters available for everyone, it's possible the country can get control of the virus by spring of 2022. Oh, by spring of 2022 now. Sure, I mean, I mean he never moved the date or changed his opinion or changed the facts or Fauci. I mean, you know, just take that to the bank anytime he says something like that. Greg, they're not mandating this. Right, just like they didn't mandate the vaccine at first either. I'm sure there's nothing to worry about. Everything's fine. Oh, did you see what's going on with illegal immigration? And and, and again, if you're just joining me and this first time you've listened to the Greg Knapp experience and you don't play the home version, I'm a first-generation American. I love legal immigration. How much we should have, big debate, but legal immigration, not illegal immigration. You have to come to the country the proper way. I totally empathize with everybody who wants to come here, but there are 5 billion people on the planet, poorer than the people of Mexico. We cannot take everybody because their country doesn't provide them good economic situation. We just can't. It would destroy us. So here we are now with this unbelievable border crisis that Biden created. I'm sorry he did. If you look at the numbers that were going on at the end of the Trump administration to now and what Trump had done with the stay in Mexico policy and all the different things that he'd done— you can hate him or love him or whatever, but you can't argue that it was working. So now here's Biden. Get this. Now there are nations that won't take back their illegal aliens. Well, I mean, our illegal aliens, it's their citizens, right? They, they, they came from their country. What do you mean you won't take back your own people? Nope, we won't take them back. But they're your people. Doesn't matter. And this has been going on for a while. But now there are more Venezuelans in border custody than any other nationality. Next is Nicaragua. Then Cubans, and a lot of these countries won't take them back. Cuba and Venezuela are the least cooperative. Brazil and Nicaragua accept a limited number of deportation flights. Mexico refusing their own citizens under and, and from these other Central American places because they came through Mexico because of the pandemic-related policy Title 42. And migrants are further complicating the situation now by heading to smaller understaffed border sectors. <laughs> you know, they're not stupid. So, okay, here's the thing. 
first of all, enforce the border, which they're not doing. But secondly, when you're going to send people back, if the country refuses to accept them back, then it's time to say to the country, you will get no foreign aid from us. We will do no trade with you until you take these people back. It will change like that because they need our money. It's not that difficult. Meanwhile, Mayorkas, head of Department of Homeland Security, was asked by committee ranking member Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican Iowa, about his September 30 memo, where Mayorkas said the fact that an individual is a removable non-citizen should not alone be the basis of an enforcement action against them. So Grassley said, does this apply to the people who have already been given their final removal order against them? In other words, these people have been brought before court. They have been ruled to be in violation. They've been ruled that they shall now be deported. Shouldn't And we've got 1.2 million of them. Are you saying that we're not going to deport them unless they're, quote, dangerous? And Mayorka said, well, we can't remove 1.2 million individuals. Sure we can. I mean, sure, I mean, I'm not saying tomorrow, but of course you can. They've been through, no, it's impractical. I would not necessarily accept the fact that all of them have received due process. Uh, wait, you don't get to decide whether they received due process. They went through the court system. All these people. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm losing it today. I, I got to calm down. I'm going to have to do my deep breathing exercises after this. See if Ann can get me into some kind of a yoga class. Hot yoga. Goat yoga. I don't care what kind of yoga. I need some deep breathing, man. I can't believe this stuff is happening. And so Jessica Chasmar uh, is reminding us about what's going on with the National School Board Association's letter. Remember that one that was likening parents who spoke up at the school board meetings to domestic terrorists? Well, they, they apologize for that. But the Department of Justice and FBI hasn't apologized for it. So now we get this from a whistleblower. And it came out. Uh, October 20 internal email from the FBI's criminal and counterterrorism divisions. Huh. The FBI has created a threat tag to aid in tracking alleged threats against school board officials, teachers, and staff. And that's part of its implementation of the memo that the Attorney General Merrick Garland gave them last month. They're using the counterterrorism divisions to tag people who Speak up at the school board meetings. No, only if they threaten them. Okay, I want to hear what they mean by threaten. Because you have a First Amendment right to get mad at your school board. They were instructed agents to apply the threat tag edu officials to all investigations and assessments of threats directed specifically at education officials. Now, what's the reason? Let's say there was a threat issued. How in the world does it become a federal issue? That is a local issue for the local police to take care of. The email directs FBI agents to consider whether the criminal activity is in violation of federal law and the potential motivation behind it. Well, Jim Jordan is upset about this. Ohio Republican saying Mayor Garland testified that the FBI wasn't targeting parents. We now know the FBI is tagging parents they consider threatening. Well, the FBI released two statements and they said, it's committed to preserving the First Amendment and that the creation of a threat tag in no way changes the longstanding requirements for opening an investigation, nor does it represent a shift in how the FBI prioritizes threats. Okay, let me ask you as a parent, how would you like the FBI to put a threat tag on you? Oh, don't worry, it's fine. They're just investigating some things and it's not going to impact you at all. My name is Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience. <laughs>